0: Well, today we get to wrap up the book of um, Esther. I almost said the book of Easter. Um, <laughs> that's like the whole Bible, right? But we are um, we are wrapping up the book of Esther today, and um, hasn't this been such a great series to walk through? Uh, the book of Esther is one of my favorites, but I love how God takes familiar stories and speaks new things through them. Right? How many of you have learned new things? through this series. I know I have. It's just been amazing. And I love how God will take verses like, I'll read a verse, you know, I could have read a verse a bunch of times, but then I look at that verse and the Lord speaks something new through that verse. And that's what's so great about getting into the word that God just reveals new things to his people. And so as we wrap up Esther today, my prayer has been that God would speak to us this morning and reveal more of himself to us today. So we're going to take a look at the last two chapters of Esther, which are 9 and 10. Um, Chapter 9 is a pretty long chapter. For the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to read all of it. But I would totally encourage you to do so. Um, I'm going to cover the highlights of these last chapters. But I also want to talk about some of the themes that we see throughout the book of Esther. Esther is a powerful book. And we see the character of God so strongly throughout it. And so I want to start us off by giving a quick recap of where Pastor Dan left us off in Esther. So if you recall, Haman had convinced King Xerxes to issue a decree allowing um, the Jewish people to be killed by their enemies. And Queen Esther, she risked her life to go before the king and eventually revealed to the king that Haman's plan would end her life as well as the lives of her people, which included Mordecai, her cousin, who was an honored member of the king's court. So let's just say that when the king found out all about Haman's plan and what was going on, the king separated Haman permanently from his position at the palace. And then Esther begged the king to spare her people from this decree that was going to destroy them. But in Persia, once a king gave a decree, it could not be reversed. So the king told Mordecai and Esther to put together another decree in his name that allowed the Jews to assemble and defend themselves if they were attacked. So that new edict went out to all of Persia, and it says in Esther that after that decree went out, there was joy and gladness among the Jews. So that brings us to where we are now, chapters 9 and 10. So let's take a look at chapter 9, and we're going to start. Chapter 9, verse 1. So on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in the cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them, but no one could make a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the highest officers, the governors, and the royal officials helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai had been promoted in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces as he became more and more powerful. So the Jews went on ahead on the appointed day and struck down their enemies with the sword. They killed and annihilated their enemies and did as they pleased with those who hated them. And in the fortress of Susa itself, the Jews killed 500 men. So this was the day that the Jewish people were supposed to be annihilated. Haman's plan was that they would all be totally destroyed. But that isn't what happened at all. In fact, like we just read, quite the opposite occurred. And this is one of the great themes that we see in this book, which is our God is the God of great reversals. What was supposed to be the day of the Jewish people's destruction became the day of their rescue, the day of their salvation. Now, if you remember, the decree was issued a year in advance because of the lot that Haman had cast to determine the date. So for a year, the Jews lived in fear and worry, knowing that this day of destruction was coming. Can you imagine what that must have been like To know that the people living around you, your neighbors, were going to rise up and kill you and your family. But instead, at the time when it seemed that all hope was gone, everything changed. And the Jewish people were saved. The king couldn't erase the edict, but he made a way for the Jews to be saved from destruction. Now, did this new decree keep the Jews from having to go to battle? No. They still had to prepare to fight for themselves. But now they had the permission, a royal edict, to protect themselves, and they had the full support of the king to do so. So we read that in the capital city of Susa, 500 men were killed, which means even with the second decree going out, Knowing that the Jews had permission to fight back. Knowing that the king gave permission for the Jews to fight back. 500 men still tried to destroy God's people. And you know, the enemy of God, the enemy of you and me, he doesn't care that we are sons and daughters of the king. In fact, it's because we are his children of God that he works so hard against us. He is a roaring lion seeking out who he may devour but the fact is the enemy knows the end of the story he knows that in the end that every knee will bow that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord but it doesn't stop him from trying to speak fear and destruction over our lives this is why it is so important that we are prepared for battle it says in Ephesians 6:13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Church, I think sometimes we allow the enemy to dictate to us the outcome before we even step into the battle. He tells us that we're already lost. He tries to convince us that we have no power. But church, you have the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords behind you. The King is for you. He is not against you. He is not for your destruction. But the King is for your good. And we have been given away by the King of Kings that saves each and every one of us from destruction. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the great reversal for you and for me. We have been issued a decree of grace through faith in Jesus. We were lost in our sin but now we are found we are redeemed we are forgiven we were dead and now we live death no longer holds us we will live to live again because we are covered by the blood of the lamb but church that does not mean there are not going to be battles for us to face this war is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers And the enemy is going to throw everything he has at you so that you will not believe that the promises of God are meant for you. He will try to convince you that whatever struggles you are facing is just how life is going to be for you. He will do everything to convince you that you cannot have the victory. But that's not what God says. And Paul says it so well in his letter to the Romans. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Through Christ, who loved us, we are more than conquerors in Jesus. When we accepted Jesus, we had a great reversal occur in our lives. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can face our enemy from a place of victory. Now, this next part of Esther in chapter 9, it talks specifically about the ten sons of Haman. And I am just going to ask for a lot of grace from all of you while I read these names because they're really hard. Um, So I'm going to try my best. I'm going to give it a go. Esther 9, starting in 7, says they also killed Parshandatha, Dalphan, Asbatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aradatha, Parmashata, Arsai, Aradai, Asatha, the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not take any plunder. So Haman's sons are wiped out, and Haman's lineage has ended. So remember, the Jews were only allowed to defend themselves if being attacked, right? So Haman's sons must have tried to finish what their father had started. The other thing we see here is the fulfillment of God's instruction from nearly 600 years before. So we're going to jump all the way back to the book of Samuel, where Saul, who was king of Israel, had been given a command by God. The Amalekites had tried to destroy God's people when Moses was leading them out of Egypt. So the Amalekites were the enemies of God, and Saul was instructed by God to totally destroy them. In Samuel 15, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. But Saul didn't. It says, he took Agog, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. So Saul failed to be obedient to God's command. So now we jump 600 years later to Esther. Haman was an Amalekite, a descendant of Agog, an enemy of God, and one who wanted to destroy God's people totally. Saul disobeyed God's instructions, which means Agog's lineage continued to be a threat to God's people. But, church, don't you know? That God isn't defeated Even when people are disobedient God will always make a way Saul was the son of Kish Mordecai was a descendant of Kish Mordecai and Esther drafted the decree That that King Xerxes used Allowing the Jews to defend themselves And in these battles that we see in the book of Esther The last of the descendants of Agog are wiped out So Mordecai finished the work that God had asked Saul to do. God does not fail on his promises. His work will come to completion with or without us. But wouldn't you rather be a part of God's work? We miss out on being used by God when we don't step into what God has called us to do. We could sit back and say, well... God's going to take care of it some other way. It doesn't have to be me. But what joy, what blessings, what are we missing out on when we don't walk in the obedience of God's calling? Here we also find another great reversal in this story. Haman tried to exalt himself, but he ended up perishing along with all of his evil plans coming to an end. And then we think of Esther. Remember, she said when she was deciding to go before the king, if I perish, I perish. She was willing to lay herself down, even if it meant death, in order to save her people. And when Esther walked in obedience, she was honored and blessed along with her family, and her people were saved from destruction. See, Haman, in trying to serve himself, Ended up dying anyway. Esther, in giving up herself, was blessed and honored. See, we can choose to live for self, or we can choose to live for God. Self always dies, whether now or later. But the outcome is vastly different depending on whom we choose to live for. When God calls us to be obedient to him, we must die to self. Because let's face it, our nature is selfish. We want what we want. And typically, we want it now. And if I'm honest with myself, when I'm saying no to God, it's because it's going to impact me in a way that I don't want or take me outside my comfort zone. I mean, we might say, I know God calls us to love our neighbor, but have you met my neighbors? I mean, come on. Have you met people? Have you driven on I-5 during rush hour? Do you hear what those people's opinions are? How am I supposed to love those people? I mean, I know God calls us to be set apart. But I really love the music that I'm listening to, even if the lyrics are pretty terrible. But it's just a song, right? It's just a song. I know God calls me to focus on what's pure and just and right, but I really like those movies. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's inappropriate, but it's just a movie, right? I know, it's getting hot in here. Woo! Um, I'm pre- preaching to myself first, people. Preaching to myself first. Um, and when I say God, I know God calls me to share the good news with people. But that really makes me uncomfortable. I mean, what will my friends at school think or at work? Or what if they start thinking of me as some religious Jesus freak? What will my family think? What if someone asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? I mean, I just can't risk all that. Church, we have to step into the anointing that God has placed upon our lives. And in order to do that, We have to lay ourselves down first. There are so many things in this world that want to keep us captive and serving ourselves. And if you have something in your life that you know is keeping you from operating in your anointing, then you need to recognize it and you need to remove it because you don't need it. And that is going to mean dying to self. But it's when we surrender fully to God is when we have so much freedom. It's the upside-down kingdom we are a part of. It's another great reversal. The first shall be last. The least shall be exalted. And when we die to self is when we can truly live. Self must die in order to walk in obedience. And we can die to self now and have life abundantly in Jesus Or we can serve self now and end up losing it all later. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So after this great victory of the Jews, King Xerxes asked Esther if there's anything else that she wants done. And she asked the king to give the Jews in Susa permission to defend themselves for one more day. So the king agrees, and on the second day, more people rise up to try and destroy the Jews, and once again they are defeated. And after the second day of victory, the Jews rested and made it a day of celebration, and the Jewish people still celebrate those days of victory even today. And in Esther 9:19, 9, we say we see, so to this day, rural Jews living in remote villages celebrate an annual festival and holiday on the appointed day in late winter when they rejoice and send gifts of food to each other. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes, calling on them to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. So again, the Jews are attacked, and again, their enemies are defeated, and to celebrate their victory, they made these days a festival. And they named this holiday Purim, and it comes from the root word of Pur, which is Hebrew for the word Lot. Because Haman casted a lot, or we might say in today that he rolled the dice, to determine the day of death of the Jews. But now, the item used by Haman to make a decision to annihilate God's people becomes the symbol of God's deliverance. Another great reversal, the days that would have been of death and mourning are now days of life and rejoicing. When the lot was cast and the day of the Jews' destruction was decided, there was mourning and there was fear. Such a seemingly random thing. The roll of the dice and a day of destruction was decided. But as both Pastor Jesse and Pastor Dan have mentioned throughout this series, nothing about the story of Esther is chance. See, another great theme running throughout all of Esther is that even when we don't see it, God is moving. Our God is the God who is always working. The name of God isn't even mentioned one time in the book of Esther. But even though we don't see his name, we see him. He is all over this book. See, King Xerxes just happened to make a rash decision to remove his queen from the throne, thus needing to replace her. Mordecai just happened to work at the palace, and he just happened to have a cousin, Esther. Esther just happened to be chosen to become queen. Mordecai just happened to overhear a plot to kill the king and was able to warn him. The king just happened to want to read a book in the middle of the night about who saved him from the plot and found out it was Mordecai. Esther just happened to be in the place where she would be able to help her people when they needed it most. That is a whole lot of just happened to be. Church, God leaves nothing to chance. There is no roll of the dice with God to see how things are going to turn out. And when things seem the most out of control, we can rely on the one who is always in control. And Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. When Esther and Mordecai were in the middle of their story, they did not know how it was going to end. But they could look back over the history of their people and see the fingerprints of God all over their lives. And that same God that parted the Red Sea that same God that saved Daniel from the lions, that same God that used Esther to save his people is the same God today. The same God that we can put our trust in. Whatever you are walking through right now, know that God sees you. He knows you. He has a plan for you. And when there seems... Like there isn't a way. God will make a way. Because even when we don't see it, God is moving. Now jumping ahead to chapter 10, we see um, the very first thing is King Xerxes imposes a tax on everyone. That seems very king-like. He's so happy this is all over that he's going to tax all his people and take money from them. Um, But the story of Esther ends in chapter 10 with Mordecai. And it says this, Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all of their descendants. So we end the story of Esther with Mordecai who was hated and condemned to death by Haman, now being placed in a position of respect And honor, second only to the king himself. And he uses his position not to exalt himself, but for the welfare of his people. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Mordecai and Esther made the choice to put their own welfare aside for the sake of their people. Both Mordecai and Esther could have totally bailed on this whole thing. They could have allowed the fear of the situation to take control. And not want to risk their own lives. But they put fear aside. And instead, leaned on their faith. And here we see another great theme in the book of Esther. And that is faith over fear. See, when we place our trust in God, and if we believe His promises are true, we can push past our fear. Because you see, faith is not belief without truth. But trust without reservations. We can choose fear or we can choose faith. The enemy wants you to choose fear. And that's why he is so good at selling it to us. But church, I feel like this is a word for some of you today. When you are fearful about stepping into your calling, when you are being bombarded with all the reasons why you shouldn't, you need to do it anyways. Do it anyways. Because when God says, do not be afraid, it isn't about feeling afraid. We're going to feel afraid. But fear isn't about a feeling, it's about where you place your focus. Are we focusing on the fear and letting that control us? Or are we focusing on the one who casts out all fear? Because focusing on God instead of fear allows us to stand up, step forward, And say, for such a time as this. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. Church, fear is not your future. You are a child of the Most High God. And as a believer in Jesus, you have the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And whatever struggles you are walking through, whatever you are dealing with right now, that is not the end of your story. Failure is not the end. Illness is not the end. Financial issues are not the end. Relationship issues are not the end. But Jesus is the beginning and He is the end. Woo-hoo! If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you have the anointing of God on your life. You are anointed by God some of you need to hear that this morning you are anointed by God to walk in his purpose for you but church if we are living for self or we're living in fear then we are hindering our ability to walk in the fullness of what God has for us see the enemy wants you to play it safe because you are dangerous when you walk in your anointing He wants you to keep doing the same old thing and He wants you to keep buying the same old lies. He doesn't want you on fire for Jesus. He doesn't want you to share the gospel with people. He doesn't want you to love people as Jesus loves people. But church, isn't it time that we become dangerous to the enemy? Because when you step boldly into your calling, believing you are who God tells you that you are, the enemy's plans are reversed. God moves in mighty ways and faith overcomes fear if you have something that is keeping you from walking in the fullness of God's anointing for your life then maybe today is the day that you let that go maybe today is the day to die to self because there is nothing in this world worth hanging on to to keep you from receiving everything that God has to offer you when we ask Jesus in our lives God's great reversal happened, and we were changed forever. But it didn't end there. God has plans for you. He is going to finish the work that he started in you. Paul declares in Philippians, and so I am sure that God who began this good work in you will carry it on until it is finished on the day of Christ Jesus. Whatever God starts, he finishes. Maybe today is your Esther moment. Esther had to make the choice to put faith over fear and step into God's purpose for her life. And she rescued her people from destruction. Perhaps it is time that you stepped into God's purpose for your life today. If you've been hanging back and standing on the sidelines, it is time to get in the game. It is time to release whatever parts of self have been holding you captive. It is time to break free from whatever fear has been holding you back from. God has so much for you. It is time to let the things that the enemy has been telling you die. And embrace the life that Jesus speaks over you. I'm also going to ask our prayer team to come up now. And the worship team is going to lead you in a new song. And it's called, Fear is Not My Future. And as we sing this, could this be our declaration of truth today? That fear is not our future, Jesus is. And if you are here today, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to tell you that He loves you. He loves you. He loves you loves you just as you are right in this moment. You do not need to worry about getting yourself together or cleaning yourself up to come to Jesus. He will make all things new. He wants to be invited to be the Lord of your life. And if you want to know the hope and the joy and the life that being in relationship with Jesus brings, when the worship team starts singing, would you please come and have someone from our prayer team pray for you? Or come see me. What We would love to lead you into relationship with Jesus. Because this world offers a lot of fear. And Jesus is here to offer you his perfect love, which casts out all fear. And if you have things that you need to lay at the altar today Maybe it's fear Maybe it's something that yourself has been hanging on to But you know God is calling you to lay it down Our prayer team would love to pray with you Come up during this song And have our prayer team stand with you in prayer Because there is freedom in this place today Jesus can break any chain And then Later on in the service, we're going to be having baptisms. And I believe that the Lord is telling some of you that you need to go home wet today. There are some of you here that need to declare that you are letting your old self die and that you are rising up, fully surrender to what God's call is on your life. And this might be your time to rededicate your life to His will and His purpose. Maybe you've never been baptized before, and today is the day that you just need to do it. If you believe that the Lord is speaking to you today, when we ask people to line up for baptisms, you just get in that line. And you might be thinking, "Um, well, I have just my clothes on, and I'm going to go home all wet, and that's going to be a really uncomfortable drive home, Laura. Well, maybe it's time that you get uncomfortable. Maybe it's time to quit listening to the lies that the enemy has been trying to sell you. And you need to, for the first time in your life, get uncomfortable for Jesus. God is moving. God is moving. We are seeing that throughout this country, throughout this world. He is on the move, and I believe God is moving here this morning. Church, let us step out of fear and be dangerous for the kingdom. God has such incredible plans for your life. Let's surrender to God's purpose for us and allow ourselves to be used by Him in mighty ways. Because perhaps you are here today right now in this moment for such a time as this.